Eddie Murphy is a Detroit cop. On vacation in Beverly Hills. I just got off the phone with an Inspector Todd in Detroit. He says if you're out here investigating the Tandino murder, you needn't bother coming back. I don't want to take it anymore. A man who claims to be on vacation, you look a lot like you're on a stakeout. Stakeout? No, no. I'm picnicking. This is like a picnic area. I have to ask you some questions about Michael Tandino. I've never been to a cell that had a phone in it. Can I stay for a while? Because I ordered some pizza. We have six witnesses that say you broke in and started tearing up the place, then jumped out the window. Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> This is Days of Films Past, a podcast dedicated to exploring the legacy of cinema. Each and every week, we discuss a different movie that made a lasting impression on viewers like us. I'm James Kennedy. I'm Ellie Edwards. And this week, we'll be discussing Beverly Hills Cop, starring Eddie Murphy and directed by Martin Brest. Great movie, man. Great movie. First time watching it five days ago. Second time watching it last night or the night before? First time watching it was five days ago. Second time watching it, I think it was last night, yeah. It's all fading together. It is. It's a lot of days put into one with this quarantine stay at home. Yeah, so actually this might be one of the movies that we're talking about that kind of led to us doing this. Yeah, man. This is it. Beverly Hills Cop was one of them. Comedy and all of that. Well, my friend Ellie here, he's working on becoming a comedian. He's doing it down in the Memphis area. If you're yeah, in the Memphis man. area, look him up. I'm sure we'll plug, look, start plugging up. him on the intros here soon. But we're talking about Eddie Murphy because he didn't really listen to Eddie Murphy's comedy not too long ago. So we we're talking no. about the movies. Wanted to do comedy. Never heard of Eddie Murphy comedy stand up. Never. That's great. Yeah, which is crazy to me because <laughs> I grew up watching Eddie Murphy comedy. But before I saw his comedy, it was his movies. And when he said he'd never seen Beverly Hills Cop, mm-hmm. I was like, you're fucking up. <laughs> No, for real. It's one of those ones where you, especially if you were there or being raised at the time in the 80s, this is one of those movies. Like, this was funny. It was funny. It was a great movie. I liked it a lot. There's a bunch of Eddie Murphy movies on Definitely, the list that yeah. we're going to work our Definitely way through. Definitely a change up through Eddie Murphy because I started my Eddie Murphy, I would say, my Pop My Cherry and Nutty Professor. And not, that's not That's not how you want to start your Eddie yeah, Murphy Yeah, it's journey. not how you want to start Eddie Murphy journey. So, no, yeah, definitely this Eddie. one. This one was dope. I love this Eddie. Actually, I didn't know Eddie can act like that. But, man, he sh- should have got an Oscar off this one. Did he get an Oscar? No, he didn't win an Oscar. No rewards? Wow. So People good, though. trash back then. Yeah, it was really good, actually. Okay. So, the first time I watched this movie, I can't even remember because I grew up with it on VHS. It was always... Is you've probably watched so many times. I've seen yeah, you've probably watched so many times. Honestly, I'm pretty sure the first time I ever saw boobs was the strip club scene. Seriously? In my whole life. I've been watching the things <laughs> since I was that young. I was actually a formula baby, so I almost guarantee Beverly Hills Cop, first boobs ever. <laughs> Not bad boobs to be your first, actually. But yeah, no. That's one, we had a bunch of Eddie Murphy movies, so that one got burned out, though. Really? Mm-hmm. Beverly Hills? Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, it's definitely one of those ones I would watch a lot. Well, now you have the chance. Yeah. As an adult man 
who's pushing. Well, it's 30. not hard. It, it's hard to find. It's hard to find. Like you no. have to, you have to it's buy it on YouTube for free. For free, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If it's not free, it's not me. All right. I'll just say Get it with now. The program. I added that to the end of our draft notes pages, but I figure we should talk about where people can watch this. I had it at the end, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since this one's a hard one to find for free it on is. Vudu, they're running a deal right now. You get it five dollars. I think you just have to buy two other movies out of that collection. They have a you have to list bu- of movies. You buy it. Yeah, I got it for perfect. I grabbed three movies for five bucks each. Okay, cool. Because I got it off of Amazon. I just rented it, and that was like four bucks. But if you buy it, it's like thirteen, fourteen. It's crazy how much they charge for rentals. But as much as it's an oldie, like I don't think a lot of oldies would cost that much. I don't know how much regular oldie movies cost, but it's a classic for sure. Well, people always try to justify it that what they charge for rental prices on places like Amazon, I'm like, well, they have a ton of free movies and they try <laughs> to justify it by saying, you know, they got to pay for their servers and everything. Yeah, they're all over the place. The servers are paid for. I, there's plenty of free streaming services. Don't charge so much. This was a dollar to rent at Blockbuster on Blu-ray. Exactly. <laughs> Amazon will not be sponsoring Days of Films Past. Yeah. <laughs> I picked up a summary of the movie from IMDb. So this is from Iant Jambo, is how I think his username goes. Mm-hmm. But it goes, after a childhood friend is murdered by drug dealers, mm-hmm. a maverick Detroit police detective travels to Beverly Hills, California to investigate the crime and bring the perpetrators to justice. However, he isn't exactly welcomed with open arms by the city's police department. Yeah. That's a good summary. No, it was that's the best a good one sum I saw. up. Yeah, that's a good sum up of it. Other ones got a little too deep. When I texted you, I texted you exactly what I thought what was the sum up of what I thought the movie was. What did you text again? Friend goals. <laughs> Friend goals. For real. Actually, we're going to get into that, their friendship. I thought yeah, it was excellent. Definitely right. a plus in the movie. This is where we'll probably... Anybody just tuning in, we're still figuring things out here. We're in flux. We're doing mm-hmm. it free jazz style, seeing what feels right. We're kind of dial it in as the episodes go on. Exactly. And don't worry, by the time you start listening to this, they're going in reverse order. You're going to work your way down to the to the worst stuff. All right. So this is usually where we're going to do info on director, and mm-hmm. that is Martin Brest. I don't think you've seen any of his movies, have you? Martin Brest? Not really familiar with any of it, no, actually. All right. So he did Midnight Run. In the 80s, too. It's another good movie. Had De Niro in it. It's actually pretty funny. Yeah, heard of it. Son of a Woman. That's a big Pacino movie. Son of a Woman. It's like the start of Crazy Pacino. You know, Mm -hmm. the the one you start seeing in the 90s where he's just really, I'm going to call it overacting. I don't know if anybody would agree, but it's the loud Pacino that we know and love. Cool. I like a loud Pacino. And then he did Meet Joe Black with Brad Pitt. Yes. And then the last movie he directed that I found was, I don't know how to say it. I just know it's the movie that almost killed Jennifer Lopez's and Ben Affleck's career. Jiggly? Mm. Jiggly. Gigly. Jiggly. Jiggly. Ah, Jiggly? Okay. There's G's and L's and I's. Got it. I never watched it. Look like trash. Perform like trash. It won a bunch of those awards, the Razzies for bad films. Is this the producer or the director? The director. Mm. The producer was Jerry Bruckheimer. And Don Simpson. Don Simpson too, yeah. The other producer. And then we got cast. We'll save Eddie. Okay. We'll save Eddie. We got a whole section dedicated I to I love him. Judge Reynolds. Yeah. Judge Reynolds as, as Bill, the Billy kid. Billy Rosewood. Yeah, Judge yeah. Reynolds. Crazy good. I would say this cast fit really good together. That is one of my things that it couldn't do without. I mean, Eddie Murphy's the main thing, but his supporting cast worked perfectly with perfectly, him. Perfectly, right? Everyone had like their own little scene. 
Because even the Wayans brother, Damon Wayans, even mm-hmm. his little banana, giving him the bananas. Like, these were like moments you're like, oh, hey, okay, yeah. Oh, I remember him. Or Damon Wayans' first role in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it? <laughs> yeah, it was his first role. Wow. That was before he was a Wayne's brother. Gave him all the bananas. Judge Reinhold, John Ashton, mm-hmm. as Taggart, both those two guys together. So They did good. Yeah, they did super good. So you know how those two, they're screen testing people, so they started pairing them off. Right. And the only direction they gave those two was, imagine you're a couple that's been married for like 40 years. <laughs> and... You're having a conversation. It was it was supposed to kind of play out how they would interact if they, when they're on the stakeout. That's hilarious. So the, the whole scene where he's reading the magazine. I can and, see that. Yeah. The part about the red meat in your gut for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually happened because he grabbed a magazine and they made that up on the spot though. So it was all ad lib? That was ad lib from the screen test and they brought it to wow. the movie. Wow. That's awesome. We could get into it later or now, but a lot of the movie was ad libbed and those three- when they're all together, they're cracking each other up so much and the cast and crew that they ruined apparently hundreds of takes. If we're talking about the cast, do you want to talk about Stallone? Might as well. All right, so. Yeah, I heard he was going to be a big part of this. Yeah, so we might as well get into it. Sylvester Stallone, he was attached to this movie prior to Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. So the way it was originally written through its 900 drafts to get to the script, the final script was literally pasted together versions of the other script just kind of jumbled together. My gosh. It went in with a real bad script. So, And one of the reasons that it had another draft (laughs) is because of Stallone. So Stallone was brought in, and he immediately did his own draft on it because he didn't think that he had the chops for comedy. So he's writing Uh it as a Stallone movie. He's already written three Rocky movies, like Rambo. So he's well well in his prime right now. Mm -hmm. But he didn't feel comfortable with all the comedy aspects, so he rewrote the whole thing. He changed the character's name to Copretti. So it sounded more Italian. Brady. That sounds Italian. Somebody let us know if that's an Italian name or if it's made up. I couldn't imagine him without Axel Foley right now. Yeah. So there's multiple stories about why he dropped out or why one of the things was they couldn't agree on the orange juice that was going to be in his trailer. I think that's probably bullshit. He said it's because he didn't feel comfortable with the comedy. There's something I read online about the producer, Don Simpson, trying to get him to quit. Mm -hmm. But long story short, he dropped out. And then this was just before they were supposed to start filming. Yeah. Well, a little bit ways before they're supposed to start filming. So that's when they brought Eddie Murphy in. And because the script was so chintzy and had gone through so many revisions, the director got brought on, Martin Brest. He trusted Eddie to basically ad-lib a ton of the movie. And he'd actually consult Eddie when a scene wasn't working as they were going to shoot it. And he helped rewrite it on set like that day. That's crazy. You mean this thing was written so many times, but they couldn't write something that Eddie Murphy had? No. Yeah. He just had to add a little bit. That's crazy. Yeah. He came in peak form. This is his first starring role. That's I mean, crazy. he was he co-starred. Well, he okay. Billing. This is his first time getting first billing on a movie. I knew about Eddie Murphy in this movie before I knew who Eddie Murphy was. So I just now watched this whole movie from beginning to end, first time ever, five days ago. So, see here, people talk about Eddie Murphy in his prime with this movie going on. I can see it. Dude, this movie, it opened up a lot of different characters that he could play just because of how natural he was in this movie. I felt like it was natural, but also like, you know, he pulled this character off, this actual fully character off. Oh, and it's all him. Because it worked with every character he came in contact with in the movie. You could just see his character and how they had to react to him because... 
all the little body languages that each and every character had with someone who was black, someone who's a male, someone who's like is part of the system. And you, he, he low plays it a lot of times in this movie. And his loudness and like how he presents himself to get what he wants in this movie just made so much more than what the movie is really built to be. I thought aside from his, his career path that he went, this could have projected him even bigger roles. Well, I mean, so this did. He did two big movies prior to this, but, he, but he's co-starring, had second billing. This is his first starring role, and it was mm-hmm. his, by far his most successful movie at that point. It was the well, it was the highest grossing film of 84. It was a rated R comedy. That's insane. Yeah, it was rated R. Crazy. Unheard of. Yeah, no, this made him a superstar. So, I mean, Saturday Night Live was huge already at this point. And he came in on, oh, I, can't, I can't remember. I think it was the third season of Saturday Night Live. Maybe I'm completely off. So he's already but well into Saturday Night Live, made a name for By the time he did this, SNL. yes. Yeah. Okay. So he was big on SNL and he was an immediate star on SNL. And then that led into some movie roles. Quick before this, he did Trading Places with SNL co-star Dan Aykroyd. Read about We're going to watch that. It's fucking excellent. Is it? Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, Ed, I don't rank it up here with this movie because mm-hmm. it's not peak Eddie Murphy, but yeah, never really it's excellent. It. Oh, it's super funny. Then he did 48 Hours. Different feel than these two. It's more serious than I'd say this movie is, but it's mismatched cops, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. But he's not a cop. He's a criminal. Speaking of Sylvester Stallone, he made a spinoff of this, right? Well, it wasn't a spinoff. Remember when I said he, he rewrote the script? Well, he didn't do the movie, but he took a bunch of the ideas that he had for the movie, mm-hmm. and he made another movie. It was taking the idea? Yeah, he took the ideas that he brought to when he rewrote the script. He made a movie called Cobra. It was yeah. terrible. It was mm-hmm. about a detective Cobretti. Now, it has one of the coolest 80s, 80s posters ever, mm. but the Cobra. The Cobra. It was a terrible movie, though. Cool poster, so he took those ideas. Okay. And that's who could have played it. Uh, there's a bunch of people that were thought to play that role, though, mm-hmm. including Mickey Rourke was signed on it at one point, but they just couldn't finish the deal. Do you know who Mickey mm. Rourke is? No, not really. Go ahead. He was the bad guy in Iron Man 2. Ooh. Yeah, he's a big star in the 80s. Then he went and became a professional boxer, well, actually semi-professional boxer. Uh-huh. Got his face jacked up. He said that's why he got his surgeries, but it's, he didn't box that hard. He, really? he got a bunch of plastic surgery done now. He looks scary. Yeah, no, I've seen, I seen him. Ugh. It looks like melted candle. You know the female MMA fighter oh, cyborg? Yeah, cyborg. <laughs> First time I saw a picture of her, I was like, oh, Mickey Rourke lost weight. <laughs> Yo. We talked about Judge Reinhold. John Ashton is Sergeant Taggart, but we haven't talked about Jenny Summers, played by Lisa Eilbacker. She was hot, yo. I would dig her a lot. Yeah, I had a crush on her big time in the uh, 80s. And, I, had to look up I mean, some now, movies. obviously, I watch it and I'm like, ah, oh, Jenny. Yeah, I had to look up some movies she was in. Definitely, this one was the outlining of her prime. Yeah, she wasn't in a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of this, the cast was, they got Lieutenant Bogomil, which is Ronnie Cox. He's in all three. No, he's just in the second, the first two. Mm-hmm. Those are the first two. Those are the only two we're going to watch for this show anyway. But he's, he's good. He's still kicking? No, I liked him. What do you think of Stephen Burkoff as Victor Maitland? Yo, he has that look. Definitely had that character. He had a little accent, didn't he? Yeah, douchey, Euro trash, rich person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely fit the scene. Oh, it's one of the. It's weird at this movie. As soon as he's on screen, you're like, "Oh, that's the bad guy." He, yeah, he did it. Yeah, he had and to. You know, immediately they don't try to hiding. It's like immediately they're like, "Oh yeah, this guy's the bad guy." That's funny. Yeah, he I mean, did. You know, what's funny is it didn't even like make it seem like you met was meeting like one of the bad guy. 
It was just like a random scene. It felt like it was a random scene. Oh, he's meeting some dude. Oh, wait, this dude happens to be the bad guy because look at all the power he has, the resources. Mm-hmm. The dude got thrown out of a freaking window. That was hilarious. Yo, a lot of things in this movie kind of like relates to like world issues. The fact that it was okay that he got thrown out the window? Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to be a fish out of water story. Originally, mm-hmm. it was, they're going to do the Italian fish out of water, but then, you know, the biggest part is like, yeah, he's a, a rough looking black guy in Beverly Hills. His reaction to it worked. Like, it almost seemed like he shouldn't have gotten thrown out that window. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to fuck somebody up. And he was so surprised that it actually happened. He and it carried on through. Yeah, it carried on a, a little longer than you thought it would. I and it worked. Fucking window. So this is how you guys react when it comes to someone throwing out a window. This is who you guys talk to. Man, that was crazy. That worked. It all worked. So let's skip through the cast. Get a few more. Oh, they got Jonathan Banks as Zach, the main henchman. Mm-hmm. Anybody coming into this movie new might recognize him. He's done a bunch of roles since, but his biggest one that people are going to recognize him for is he was in Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, is that guy? Yeah, he was in one of the main characters for a bunch of years. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I see it, yeah. So, Eddie Murphy's boss, Axel's boss, mm-hmm. Inspector Todd. Yeah. All right. Great, so, great role. He's great so guy good too. in it. Yeah. All three movies, not what everybody knows, though, is about him, is he's an actual Detroit cop. Oh, really? Yeah, he's an actual Detroit cop. Wow. He's like head of the city council in Detroit for a long time. So, this is like right. home to him. That's crazy. That was a great pick, too. He just fit the scene, too. Especially with Detroit being the city that they're representing. Then when they went to L.A., yeah, we were like, okay, now these are familiar cop cars. Yes. So that all worked out. Well, that was one of the points. Is So they wanted to contrast the Detroit Police mm-hmm. Department, what they had to work with, as much as possible with the Beverly Hills to make it seem like just that huge difference of worlds. Yeah. So the rundown police department with old yeah, cop cars good. compared to the fresh police department mm-hmm. with really shiny cop cars. That's why he was talking, this is the nicest cop car I've ever been in. Right. But actually the police headquarters, mm-hmm. that wasn't real police headquarters. They couldn't shoot at the real police headquarters, but the director, Martin Brest, was working on a movie called War Games that he ended up getting kicked off of by the studio. Mm-hmm. And he didn't think he was going to work after that. And But then the producers, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, came calling on him and kept bugging him until he did this movie. Wow. So he brought some of the designs he did he worked on with people for war games and brought them to the police department here. So it looks very almost militarized, but cleaner. Interesting. Like real command center feel. Yeah. The movie came out pretty great. I liked it a lot. Like I watched it just what in 2020 and that shit hit home. All right. We're going to go over dopest scenes. Mm. You want to go first? I'll let you go, man. Let's lead the way, <laughs> man. This is your movie, bro. All right. I put first scene, the opening scene in Detroit. Okay. Why? So, well, we'll go through a little bit. It opens on a cigarette deal. Eddie Murphy's Axel Foley undercover. Well, he's not mm-hmm. as Axel Foley, but he's Axel Foley undercover. And he's trying to sell a truckload of stolen cigarettes. And it's great because it's a really good introduction to the character because you immediately pick up on who he is as a character. He's fast talking, smarter than everyone around him. Slick with the lips. Slick with the lips. And also, you'll find out, a complete fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cigarette deal gone wrong. Police chase through Detroit. Excellent. Like that's one of the things on watching this on HD though that you pick up on. Mm-hmm. It's so much cleaner than the VHS and the regular DVD copies I grew up with. Detroit actually looked pretty nice considering it was already like starting to crumble by the time this movie was filmed. 
honestly thought it was LA at first. That's why I was confused by the cop. Because if Beverly Hills cop, you would assume it's in LA. So I didn't really t- pay attention to the Detroit signs and all the Detroit I actually markings. filmed in Detroit. Yeah. So it's, what? So they actually took it to Detroit. Detroit was already huge economic downturn through the 70s. And Dope. this is already the 80s. It's already crumbling. It's you. you get kind of, certain areas, it's first sites of what they're eventually going to call ruin porn. <laughs> they call it ruin porn because there's people like, they take a bunch of pictures of the, the ruins of Detroit because it's all crumb falling apart. And I'm not gonna lie, mm. I love ruin porn. <laughs> so, but the HD, you see a lot of the Detroit's not so bad looking, but mm. they filmed in Detroit. No, it didn't look bad at all. No, but the areas were bad because mm. the director he had police escort for okay. going around scouting and planning his scenes, but the police wouldn't go with him everywhere he wanted to go, so he went alone. So he left his police escort because the cops said it was too dangerous and the cops No way. Uh-huh. And those are the scenes they caught in that in that chase? Some of the areas. Wow. Yeah, that was some run-down areas, but I wouldn't think it was too dangerous for a director to be around. That's crazy. Yeah, it was cool. What do you think? Yeah, I like that scene. Actually, I like that scene a lot just because it kind of like set the premise. I mean- you kind of realize that Axel, this wasn't his first fuck up because of how his lieutenant or the inspector came down on him. Inspector Todd tears into him. Yeah, he does. And it's like it's it's like the usual routine. So you get the sense that this guy, Axel, yeah, he may be a city slicker, but he's a fuck up at the same time. Yeah. It's weird that Inspector Todd, Gilbert Hill that played him, mm-hmm. it's still weird to think he's not an actor. <laughs> he's an actual cop. You believe every minute of it. And there's actually a warmness where it's like you could tell he actually cares about yeah. Eddie. And like he wants want him, to, him succeed. to lose his job. Yeah, he it's like a coach. Job. It's like mm-hmm. a coach coaching somebody through a bad play. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, definitely. That's, what, him, that's the vibes. That's the vibes I got from him. So it definitely was good. I wish like I would have seen him in more and more movies than just the three Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, I should have checked to see what, what else he's been in since then. But that's the only thing I remember, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. They kept going back for him. Because he was in Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to review. We're not watching those. I haven't watched those yet, so we can't even go into those. So. Oh, we're not going to watch 3. Don't worry. <laughs> well, we're not going to watch 3. They made no, it's it. it's terrible. I know. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, best not to Spoiler alert. Part. Inspector Todd dies in part 3. Oh. But if you never watch it, it's like it didn't even happen. It didn't really happen, man. I still so know him as that. the guy that mad at Axel Foley for fucking up all the time. Just chewing into his ass. <laughs> Big chewing ass muff. <laughs> you stopped yourself there. <gasps> Big deal. Oh, yeah. So that's a good scene. I think one of my dopest scenes, I like to say it was the club scene. The strip club? Yeah. Okay. So all throughout the movie, and he's investigating a murder of one of his childhood best friends. And he's going through it because he's had so many fuck ups with Detroit. He goes to Beverly Hills on vacation to start doing some investigating. He gets run down by the cops like early on because he gets thrown out of the window. And his run down with the cops, you can tell that Beverly Hills cops, the Beverly Hills station, wherever these guys are, Judge Reynolds and John, they're not very welcoming or opening to this guy coming around complaining about, you know, certain things and how they process people. And he's a black dude, so for him to be loud and coming in and asking questions and demanding authority, it's kind of crazy that the relationship starts off on the wrong the foot. But when they come to the strip club scene, it's actually a joke. He kind of like pushes onto him to where they get to that in there, 
And then as they're like hanging out, he kind of warms them up a little bit, has this conversation about Billy possibly having a chance or a go at one of the girls, one of the strippers. And then in the meantime, he's actually talking life and death situation right now. Like it's kind of like late in June for a winter jacket. So you can kind of tell how even in such funny or comedian or prank mindset that he had on these guys, you can see the flip and the switch from being a funny, goofy, pranky guy to like straight, this is life and death situation. Hey, I was kind of goofing with you guys. You guys were kind of goofing with me, giving me some shit. But you see these two guys here, this is about to go down. So I think that was, you get that a lot in the movie. And then this is the part where that part, the jokes and pranks come together and like they rely on each other to save each other's lives. Kind of my favorite scene. There's a couple in there in in betweens, but that made too much sense to me to be like, okay, this is dope. This is a dope dynamic now because it goes from pranking each other to like, yo, I got your back. Well, I mean, that's on my list too, but I included in that stream the, the follow up at the police station. Mm hmm. And that's when they had their real bonding yeah. over it. Because even after all them arguing it back and forth previously and him, him playing pranks on them, after that, he covered for them at the police station, tried to take full blame for mm-hmm. them being there, why they were at yeah. a strip club. And then <laughs> he was actually tired prior to the scene, so they finally convinced him to drink coffee. And really? that's why he's so like, he didn't like even like drinking coffee prior to that. So that's wow. how he's so like, he's very animated. Mm-hmm. When he did this, the super cop monologue, no, is what they that, call it. The that was, cops. I think, one of the funniest clips in the movie was when he's like, my excuse would have worked, guys, if he would have went with my. Right. So you could actually see after he says that would have worked, you could actually see Bogomil laughing. <laughs> and so during the scene when he's, that's all off the cuff. Really? When he's doing the scene. Yeah. When he's doing the scene. That's <laughs> classic. So Taggart puts his head down and he's squeezing his nose. And it's supposed to, like, you think maybe it's out of frustration and he's just mm-hmm. hiding his face in shame? Nope. Yeah. He's laughing. <laughs> he couldn't keep a straight face while Eddie Murphy was doing the scene, so he had to put his face down. <laughs> yeah, that's my next favorite scene, the follow-up scene on that. Like, that's that would have worked, scene. guys. That would have yeah. worked. <laughs> the super cop thing worked. You fucked it up. You fucked it up. It could have worked. And that's what made Bogomil laugh. But all the laugh, all the laughing, smiling, everything, it's complete genuine. But again... Judge Reinhold and John Ashton as Rosewood and Taggart were so good at playing off the discomfort of trying to hide your laughter that they, one look like they turned it into embarrassment look, but really <laughs> they were just trying not to laugh. That's got to be so hard to work with someone who's so good with improvising because anything can go, you know what I mean? No, oh, I know. I mean, it's easier now, like back in the 80s and 90s and, you know, the early 2000s and everything before now. Mm-hmm. It's structured. They used film. Film stock was expensive. And time consuming to go through it all now that so many movies are shot digital mm-hmm. i mean oh, you, yeah, ruin a, you ruin 100 takes i mean you waste people's time but not time and money like when you're shooting film right that makes sense damn didn't think about it that way jackie chan who's used to was used to filming in china before doing rush hour movies over here mm-hmm. in the outtakes of rush hour one or two he's yelling at jokingly but half serious yelling at chris tucker he's like you're wasting our film because he kept he couldn't get oh it right. yeah you are wasting our film film was pretty expensive and you had <laughs> you had to have it all processed and everything just to look and see what you got so man. improvisation and film man it works sometimes though yeah this movie's no. gold the one of our favorite scenes in this movie was an improv scene mm-hmm. that's my favorite scene actually that gets my win 
<laughs> I mean, I'm going to mention other dopest scenes, but that's my favorite. Yeah, no, no, that, that was one of my dope ones. Dopest. It had to be in there. The scene where you're like, would have worked. So second one, I got fish out of water intro to Beverly Hills when he's just walking around checking out Beverly Hills. And this is a guy mm-hmm. that's coming from mm-hmm. dirty Detroit. And they show like fancy Beverly Hills people walking around wearing thriller jackets. Yeah. Just white dudes dressed up like Michael Jackson. And he's just walking around kind of flabbergasted. Can you use the little Michael Jackson reference in the beginning of the movie? Mm-hmm. So it was just hilarious how Beverly Hills would have someone walking around with a Michael Jackson uniform. Well, please. Yeah. I mean, in the 80s, Eddie Murphy, I would argue that he became like the most famous actor on the planet. Mm. But Michael Jackson was the most famous motherfucker on the planet in the <laughs> 80s. He was, Yo. he was my hero. He was big in the 90s. So for, for you guys to be in it with him in the 80s, that's got to be a memory. Yo. He was bigger in the 80s. By the time you were introduced, <laughs> they're already saying he was molesting kids. Right. Yeah. Which for me to be a fan is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> Why not me? You know what? Whatever they said about him, I don't even care. Nah, I didn't. Way better, bro. Way better. My first cassettes that I owned that I bought with my own money, Michael Jackson's History, Past, Present, and Future box set. (laughs) I fucking love that guy, man. I don't care what they say. I don't care. Yo, speaking of which, this soundtrack hit. That like the opening scene. I don't think that opening scene would have worked without something like that. You know what it reminded me of? It like Ducktales. I don't know. Just out of nowhere, right. the pick me up of Ducktales, the the theme song of Ducktales. Like, if this wasn't the song for the opening scene to open up, like how this movie was gonna start off, it felt good. It felt right. So the soundtrack was dope, though. All around. Yeah, no, that's in my that's in my notes later. It's on my things that the mm-hmm. movie needed these key ingredients to make it work, and the soundtrack's one of them. The soundtrack made it work. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, speaking of which, the banana and the tailpipe scene. Oh, okay. This was funny because this is also something that's, this is a universal joke. I think now the banana, banana and the tailpipe. Yeah. So it wasn't even the first choice. I read worked. that they wanted to use potatoes, but the bananas were available in the lobby. So they went with it. I mean, Damon giving them bananas is hilarious because yeah, he acted the character good and it was his debut as well. And also he's handing him bananas is hilarious. No, I grew up with Damon Wayans and this was his first role. So it's kind of funny to look back and. Every time I will, I'm like, oh, yeah, Damon Wayans. <laughs> Maybe an unpopular opinion, but my favorite Damon Wayans is Damon Wayans Jr. His son? Mm-hmm. You don't think that Major Pain follows all of those, any one of the Wayans Brothers movies? It's not up there? The older Wayans Brothers? I'll go with Keenan Ivory for a low-down, dirty shame every day. Low-down, dirty shame was great. Jada Pinkett Smith in her prime? Mm-hmm. You know what's crazy now we think about it? Is Lethal Weapon, is he in the TV show now? There's a TV show of Lethal Weapon. I don't think I believe there is. I think they made it. I don't think it's on. I never watched it because we're going to watch those movies and you're going to see why I wouldn't watch a TV show based on it that looked, well, corny. So you like his son better as a detective than him? Yes. Let's be cops or the other guys. Mm -hmm, The other guys? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Damon Waynes Jr. is my Damon Waynes now. He converted me. Well, he technically came from his balls, so, I mean, it comes I from mean, the same... That's like you, you giving props to your son, and real things goes to the man who came from. I guess uh, <laughs> Damon Waits Jr. said his dad was a hard man to get approval from growing up because he didn't want to, like, give him a big head. I don't know. But he said it was a big deal to him when his dad said that he thought the script for Let's Be Cops was funny, but not even an excited funny. 
<laughs> it was funny, and it was like a big deal for him to admit that that his son made something funny. That's hilarious. It's funny that he looks like him a lot too, man. He looks like a Wayne's. Yeah, and no, when he shaves, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, they look so much like a tiny goatee. I'm like, they don't look related. No. Okay, so what's another dope scene after the banana scene? I got the strip club, and then actually, you know what? I got the opening scene. I got mm-hmm. the fish out of water slash intro to Beverly Hills. I have banana in the tailpipe and the falling of the crate after the banana in the tailpipe. When he kind of finds, that's when he does a lot of his investigating. He finds out that they're smugglers. Yeah. Smuggling Europeans and South Africans. They were the mm. evil guys in the, <laughs> in the 80s. So, and then the strip club, those are my favorite scenes. Do you want to get into it later? You want to talk about it now? You want to talk about his relationship with his best friend, Michael Tandino? Yeah, actually, like that was one of the, the scenes that I, I picked that wouldn't have worked without this scene. Because it comes to them talking about when they were little. And this is a cop. So, you know, you go from a cop, a detective, to someone who's, you know, reliving his childhood bad boy days with this kid who just came out, or not kid, but this character who comes out of doing some time in prison. So it's two different total paths. And both of them are from it looks like best friends back in the day. Well, you find out that, I mean, Eddie Murphy, he wouldn't be where he was at as a cop. If it wasn't for him. He didn't snitch on him. Yeah, if he would have snitched on him and he didn't mm. take the rap for what they did, yep. he wouldn't be a cop then. Exactly. And he, he said, why didn't you ever tell on me, man? Oh, that was a good scene. It's because I love you. You don't know? Because I love you. All right. So we talked about dopest scenes. This is where I got key ingredients or what things were instrumental in making it work as a movie. You want to go first? You want me to? I think the premise of him being from Detroit actually helped out a lot. I did put Detroit as a key thing. It wasn't always Detroit in all the scripts, but that's what mm-hmm. they went with. And I think it was a good choice. I yeah. think they wanted to make sure that his background was produced dichotomy between himself and the people of Beverly Hills. Yeah. I think it could have been pulled off with Chris Rock. I think it could have been, to be honest. No. I mean, I was the one that was telling you that Chris Rock was in some was good some good stuff in the nineties, but I will say You don't think so? Nah. Hmm. Chris Rock was funny in his in his time and he did, had some good stand up that I loved yeah. back in the nineties. He was not talented in the way Eddie Murphy was where he could just make things happen with sheer force of That's will. true. But I just look at the because his laugh was so unique in this movie, his smile, his... Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't have worked with Chris Rock. But if I look at someone Eddie else Murphy that could have done it... made this movie just by being Eddie Murphy. Who can you pick that could have been the Eddie Murphy, the Axel Foley of this movie? Not a single person mm-hmm. ever. That's exactly. So that's what I'm saying. So, so good. what's a close call to him? What do you think? Because I wouldn't recast anybody. I just think back in the day, in the 80s... Because, you know, back in those days, it was like only one black comedian could be like the highlight. Really um, famous at one yeah, time. Yeah, at one time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was Eddie Murphy's time, but I think Chris Rock, like his time was around there too, right? It was a decade later. A decade later? Okay. Well, so a little honestly, bit, like, over in the a 90s? decade later. In the yeah. 90s? I didn't really pick up on Chris him, Rock. Chris started Rock. like CB4 and some I know others. his HBO special dropped around that time, but it was That's not, like 97. It was not in my radar, to be honest. No, it was, it was the on, Kings of Comedy. No, I, I loved it. I love that HBO special. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that special so much. I laughed so hard. I had sore abs the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading the book, and I guess it was freshman year. They, they had open reading. I was reading his biography, yeah. his autobiography. I was cracking up so much. My teacher told me I had to stop reading the book. <laughs> the whole time. 
I mean, you, can get, you can get six pack abs just by laughing, <laughs> watching the right abs movies. Abs by rock. <laughs> yeah, no. Who could do it? Nobody. That's like that's my, that's my number one key ingredient. Nobody could do it. Okay. If Eddie Murphy was not in this movie, it doesn't work. What about him being black? Could it have worked? Would it have worked if he wasn't? It, was it a key ingredient if he was? Let's say it was Eddie Murphy, but he was white. I don't think it plays as well. It was the idea came from, I believe it was Jerry Bruckheimer. Wanted it, I think it was Jerry Bruckheimer wanted it written because he got pulled over by a cop in L.A. and he's driving around a really shitty car, the car that he's had for a while. Really? And he got treated like shit by the cop because he's driving a shitty car. No way. So that's where he got the idea for the movie because he was treated less than because of his vehicle. And he's like, that should be a story. Interesting. And he's a white dude. Really? So the idea as a whole works, but I think it plays better when he's you know even more scene of an outsider there and yeah i mean racism was a key factor in like the way they did the story yeah i do think it could have worked but not as nearly as successfully i think i don't know mm-hmm. I think the way they portrayed the way he fit in yeah i think i think used his race to his advantage throughout the movie mm-hmm. because playing on people to make them feel like they're being racist even when they weren't to make them feel uncomfortable to get his way which mm. goes towards yeah. how smart he was as a character to use yes. that to his advantage what could be a handicap he made an advantage yeah yeah because even when he did things like when he was really loud and got his way you'd want to say it was more eddie murphy than it was a black dude but because it's, it's eddie murphy man yeah even when he did the prank on the banana and he was winking to the waiter and the waiter was like ah oh, yeah i got you bro you know what i mean yeah and i think he's a good representation of an outsider for that era in that place yeah so that definitely worked the cast was the biggest part of it, aside from the soundtrack. Everybody worked so well together. Yeah. And I put Martin Brest direction because, all right, so the second one's directed by Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother, the same guy that did Top Gun, Man on Fire. He does thrillers and action movies. How long ago was the second one made after the first one? I think about three years. Okay, so they had some time to really understand what this movie was going through. You'd think that. But they brought in a different director, and that director didn't understand what made this one funny. So mm-hmm. so Eddie Murphy is funny in the sequel, but don't know if it's because he wasn't given the same amount of rain, or when they wrote it, they wrote it in more depth, and it was less ad-libbing. Mm-hmm. But the second one's, it's a good movie. It's a good 80s movie, but it's definitely not as funny as this one, and not as successful. As the original. Yes. But what they did better in the second one, I'll get into, and what, what could be improved upon. But we'll do that next. All right. Soundtrack. You talked about soundtrack. The entire music. The entire soundtrack. But Axel F is the theme song for the movie. Mm -hmm. It's Eddie Murphy's theme song, Axel Foley. It took three synthesizers to make that song, apparently. Really? Yes. I mean, back in the 80s, synthesizers didn't have as much synths going on in their sizers, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy that we live in a time where my phone can do more than the highest end of equipment Uh back then. Oh my gosh. They did cool stuff with what they had though. Three synthesizers. I can make a full-on movie probably better than the one we just watched, the one we're reviewing on my iPhone, maybe. I mean, technology's progressed pretty far, <laughs> but the image is caught with like real lenses and film. If I just use my iPhone 8, you think it would be better than what they use for Beverly Hills Cop? It'll have higher clarity. It won't be a better image. What? You don't think a lot so? goes into a lot goes into an image besides resolution. True. Oh. Audio. Yeah, and I mean there are cameras that 
are so good these days that a lot of people can't tell that they're not film and they look like really good images, but those are really expensive. Your phone. I thought the audio was off in this movie though. It might've been your copy though. You think so? Yeah. I mean, you were streaming. Okay. Yeah. Because when he was like, you can tell his voice was off from when like they were like throwing him out of stuff or like like when threw him out of a window or stuff like that. that, The the audio was like not even close to his lips moving. I can't remember right now, but that might have been just, they might have voiced that after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a voiceover or something. Yeah, they probably recorded that later. Yeah, it was the 80s. You get away with shit like that. (laughs) People weren't paying attention. Yeah, they, they weren't paying attention. But I was. I'm always watching. I'm always watching. All right, so what else do we not hit for things that you think were necessary in making this work? The definitely the friendship and being a cop. Wait a second. You're telling me that he needed to be a cop to make a movie called Beverly Hills Cop? <laughs> no. Nah, but I think the dynamic of the range he had in investigating, anything to do with investigating, it's out of your jurisdiction if you can't get to where you can with the information that cops have. You know what I mean? You just can't. You had to be like really in with the system somehow. If he wasn't a cop, he'd be a drug dealer or someone who was a smuggler going around knowing all the information he had and the intel he had. That's an entirely different film, though. (laughs) (laughs) What is that film? This movie is that movie about a guy that should be, you know, listened to, accepted, but isn't because he's an outsider and he's not at the same level of class as the people in authority at least that's like he's seen as an outsider because mm-hmm. he's you know not dressed the same way not wearing fancy suits drives a shitty car mm-hmm. and that's like that's yeah the that was the whole point of the movie what man. about the shitty car man why were they doing our, our do like that why why they have them riding the dingy dusty shinita you ever seen a shinita you know what she need is a hoopty. Yeah, she need a bumper. She need a car. <laughs> she she need a new th- anything. It was really yeah. That's what she needed. That car's a hoopty. <laughs> that's the whole point, though. The Jerry Bruckheimer got pulled over, got treated like shit because of his car. Mm-hmm. Saw as an outsider by the cops. Really. And they made a whole movie based on that. So that car kind of represented his car, or was it just part of it? Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he brings it up in the movie when he's talking to old girl. Mm-hmm. Talking about the, the mm-hmm. Jenny still Summers. Still got that car? Yeah, still got that car. All right, so we have the part with like unnecessary ingredients or anything that doesn't work with the movie or anything that could be improved upon. Mm-hmm. Originally, I wrote nothing. And then watching it the second time in the last week, I go, you know what? Honestly, all the action scenes towards the end, the final shootout and everything, mm-hmm. a little rough. Is it? A little rough. And I think that's where Martin Brest, he... Tony Scott, who directed the sequel, he brought better action scenes. He doesn't have the comedic ear, mm. but he brought better action. So that's one thing that they improved upon in the sequel. Ooh, good question. What works more for a movie like this? Action scenes or comedy scenes? I'm going to go with comedy because Ooh. this is better than the sequel. Mm. It's funnier. It's more more Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. Mm. I would totally agree with funny over action. Just because funny you remember, action is just like you're in the moment and when you go away, it's just like, oh, that was cool. But with comedy, it's like that was hilarious. You can laugh about something for a long more time than you can remembering something about some some cool. Generally, I will agree with you, but I got some action movies that we're going to be watching that they'll stick with you afterwards. It's Mm. not about the comedy. It's 
the action sticks with you because that's what these movies are. So mm-hmm. future listeners out there, we're going to be doing the John Wicks 1 and 2 and the Raid 1 and 2. Never watched before. You're going to. I know the Wick ones. I mean, there's a lot of hype around them, but I'm not when it comes to anything else outside of All right. So this, I, this is the best way I heard said. it described. It's not a party drug, these movies. And that means it's not, you know, for casual users. Uh-huh. Yeah, especially the Raid movies, not for casual users. <laughs> you have a tolerance built up and know what you're getting yourself into. All right. Good stuff. All right. We asked the question, should it be remade? Have a late sequel? Or should we just let it die? Nah, don't touch this. I put no, just no. No, no. yeah. So I also put no, no, just no. Besides, if we were going to reboot it, what's the cast? Reboot, recast? No. Nah, no. That cast was too gold and too prime at the time. You can't touch something else without downplaying it. It's just a waste of money. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right, so what questions do we have after viewing? Ooh. What were you thinking about afterwards? I know what I was thinking. Go ahead. You sure? Yeah. Well, we already kind of discussed it, though. It's like, I want to know if he banged her, but you know what I'm saying? if Jenny Summers? Yeah. Nah. You don't think he did? They're just friends. But why? <laughs> they didn't even bring her back at the end. It was just him, Taggart, and Rosewood driving off into the sunset. Yeah, I know it, but... No. And she's not in the sequel either. But that, hey, that's okay. That means more Jenny Summers for us. Mm-hmm. She's good. She's available. You know, that was, that was one thing that I thought would have been nice to see him get like the with the good guy gets away with the bad girl not bad girl but you know like she's bad bad like michael jackson bad you know what i mean get i'm away gonna with say it again girl. man i'm like i don't think like every movie needs a love story especially when yeah the love story but with this, this movie, one him and his best friend and him she should have like i could see if it was every movie i could see if it was like a movie where the hot chick wasn't hot but this one was hot you know, they're like if it was like what's her name from Ninja Turtles, April. I'm mm. like, yeah, that's cool. She would have been a Pass great up April. on that. Pass she would have been a great April. But yeah, she would have been a great April. You would want to say some somebody. We're watching Ninja it. Turtles on this on this show. But yeah, no, it was it was it was good. I didn't I actually didn't have anything for uh, that was just something I had in the back of my mind. My thing, like, what would happen if Stallone actually did it? I think it just ends up being as bad as Cobra, but does that deprive the world of Eddie Murphy like at the level that we got him? I think if he didn't have this opportunity. Yeah, it would. He still would have been a star, but would he have been like leading man, Eddie Murphy takes the show star. I think this propelled him. It was the highest grossing movie of 1984, and that was a big year for movies. All right, actually, you know what? Let me get into it. Number one movie, Beverly Hills Cop. Then it goes Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, Romancing the Stone, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and Splash. Those movies were huge. Damn. Ghostbusters. Actually, Eddie Murphy was originally going to be in Ghostbusters, but he dropped out of Ghostbusters so he could make Beverly Hills Cop. He would have been a great Ghostbusters. All right, so he was going to be Winston. So once he dropped out of Winston, the Winston character became smaller. And they gave <laughs> that would have been the, hilarious. They gave a bunch of extra good lines to Bill Murray's character. Oh, my gosh. I love Ernie Hudson, but I would pay serious money to see the Ghostbusters with Eddie Murphy. I would, though. I would. But even so, I'm glad it worked out this way because we got Beverly Hills Cop, and then we got Eddie Murphy's career after this. Yeah, no, for real. Beverly Hills Cop shed some light on Eddie Murphy because I grew up when Eddie Murphy was doing Mushu and Mulan. He was doing Nutty Professor, like I said. He was doing 
I feel like when someone does a lot of different characters outside of what they are, it's like they're just you don't feel like you're getting them. Yeah, no, they're reaching they're the bottom of the barrel. Of they're settling. People. They're settling. You know what I mean? They're not trying to get into the what makes them them. But this one, I was like, yo, I was like, yo, I need to watch more Eddie Murphy's back then because this one was really like, now for real, this Eddie Murphy movie was really eye opener for me. Because I always look at like comedy and how comedians can go from being super funny stand up to on scene. So I've seen that with Dave Chappelle. Star is Born is like the best I've seen with Dave Chappelle. With Kevin Hart, his is like all of his are the same. It's like it sucks. With Eddie Murphy's is different because he has different characters in each movie. This one was more like it was more raw, it was more sincere. It was more like I believe that he had a friendship with this dude. Which was cool, which was real cool about the whole movie. Like, you can't take that part away, which was what made the movie. So, and for him to be as funny as he is in the movie, it's just like, that's Eddie Murphy I wish I would have watched growing up. You know what I mean? I would have a different light out at the end of the tunnel when it comes to his his legacy that he had. Because I don't think anybody knows of Eddie Murphy like how 80s kids knows Eddie Murphy. Yeah. He was a fucking superstar. Yeah. You watch Raw. That set's amazing. I mean, he might not have done his own, all of his own writing, but he Bro. commands that crowd to the core. Yeah, it's hard to hear material that so many people have used so many times and still laugh at it. I watched Raw and laughed at it. So that's how I know it was good. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, when he's been, he's been riffed off of for mm-hmm. three decades, three and a half decades almost. And it's still like you can tell, like that's what I was telling you before you watched it. You're going to watch it and you're going to realize that was the genesis for a lot of what you grew up watching. Damn. Like, and his delivery was... On Raw? So good. So Bro. good. Yeah, like, I look up a lot of people who do impersonation. When I look up impressions, Eddie Murphy's never one of the one people I, I think that did good impressions. I never thought he would be one. When I watched Raw, was the first time I saw him do impersonations. Straight on. Like, James. Yeah, that was dope. You got to watch his SNL, man. You're gonna, you're yeah. in for a treat with that I got, too. I, I haven't watched any of his. I've probably watched his opening SNL, but not really any of his SNLs. Yeah, none of them. You love buckwheat, but we have a lot of '80s Murphy movies to get through. <laughs> Seriously, we're gonna do at least five or six. But this was his prime, though, right? You couldn't get him, and I'm gonna use raw again. You couldn't get him more raw, more energized, and ready to go. You do have this like where he's kind of like he hits top form for what he's doing mm-hmm. but this i don't know it's hard to explain like he hits it out of the park Damn. on every level and he was doing it all on his own i'd say he's more polished Where when we get to coming to america mm-hmm. he's re- still running the show it's more polished that was my favorite movie of his growing up but this is like peak when he's got that youthful energy where it's just like it's kind of like electrifying it's got an energy behind it that you're just like, it kind of just pure force of will kind of brings you along with him through the story. Dope. Now, yeah. coming to America, mm-hmm. doesn't have that same kind of energy. God damn it, if it's not hilarious, it's still very Eddie Murphy, but it's a different energy, but it, you're going to love it. Mm. All right, so I said, what's this film's legacy? We're going to mm. ask that at the end of, end of every one of these since we say we talk about films of the past. What's their legacy? This is what we think, so... What do you think? You didn't grow up with it, so what do you think is it's leaving? I think this is a perfect movie for comedy, perfect movie for action, perfect movie for even like I don't know. 
I would say the legacy of this movie would be when I think of this movie, I think of Eddie Murphy. So I think of it as being able to watch someone who is well known in his prime and even, you know, supporting characters, supporting cast. All in all, it's just like one of those movies that you have to hold up there as a really good cop movie, like one of the best cop movies ever watched. It's an excellent cop movie. I feel like it definitely informed a lot of action comedies that came after it. Mm. Like, You think Rush Hour was a little bit of a brush up on this one? I, I want to say it was. It's a different kind of movie, but yet I don't think there's a world where Rush Hour exists as it is if this movie wasn't there first. I mean, it's so good. All the Rush Hours were so good. Eh. Yeah, but it, it, just because <laughs> of the character. The characters, that it, like Jackie Chan having more of anything that he has to say with Chris Tucker. Like just having them have the dynamic that they have is hilarious. Just thinking about what they have, the differences in opinions. That's one from straight communist China and another one from 90s, early 90s America. Listen to Beach Boys. Beach Boys. But anyway, but yeah, this was a great cop movie. Yeah. I think one of the ones that people have to hold up there as like one of the best cop movies ever. I would actually say that. I mean, I'd definitely say it's one of the funniest movies ever, in my opinion. Over Lethal Weapon? It's funnier than Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Lethal Weapon, though, one and two, they are up there for me, though. We're going to watch those. Yeah. But no, this movie's funnier than those. <laughs> Better action in those movies, yeah, though. Seriously. Those, those air on the side of action. This airs on the side but of But is comedy. it believable? Because, you know, there's actions that's believable and actions like, okay, yeah, really pushing this movie. No, Martin Riggs is a Lethal Weapon. I believe that he's registered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Legacy, I mean, it. This definitely gave us leading man, Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's given complete reign on set and it like he's able to showcase all his talents. And this film's biggest legacy is that it propelled his career and gave mm. us the Eddie Murphy that we ended up with. And I thank it for that because I love that Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I'd say he's the biggest star of the 80s when yeah. it comes to film. Okay. Wow. I don't know too many in the 80s. Take that, Tom Hanks. <laughs> big boy? Was it? Big. We're going to watch Big. Big, yeah. Uh, I like worry. Big. I watched Big a couple of times to for me to remember some scenes. Ooh, well then we might have to wait to watch it for a while. Uh, I, I didn't sleep on Tom Hanks too much, to be honest. I watched a lot of his movies. I like the world more. watched a lot of his movies. Mm-hmm. He couldn't lose for a long time. He could not lose for the longest time. Every movie that he did was like number one. As he started losing, I mean, he's not Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks since like the mid two thousands. But you have to expect it because of how old he is now. You can't have him being in freaking. Forrest Gump now as an oldie trying to run like that? Did you say an oldie? <laughs> well, he had coronavirus and we were all scared for him, so. I know. Oof, that would have been right. super sad. Not Tom Hanks. No, that would have been super Not sad. Not Oh, no. There's so many Tom Hanks movies on the list. So many. Oh, man. What's your top one, at least? <laughs> top Tom Hanks movie? What's up there? Oof. I mean... Catch Me If You Can is way up there. Really? That Thing You Do is way up there. Saving Private Ryan is way Whoa. up there. Mm-hmm. Forrest Gump is pretty high up there. Okay. Big, though. Big is huge. Un- oh, I had such a crush. on. You know, we'll get into Big when we get into Big. What about Castaway? Not even on the radar, huh? Eh. I mean, we talked about Castaway last time because, you know, it inspired a lot of I Am Legend performance from Will Smith. Yeah. My favorite is Saving Private Ryan and Tom Hanks. So good. Forrest Gump is number two for sure. Three is Castaway. That's my top three. Top three Tom Hanks? Yep. Top, top three Tom? Tom Hanks. Yeah, top Top Tom's. three Tom? 
Top three. First times. one is is gotta be it has to be Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan, I'll give it that my number one. And then I'll give big my number two. Oh, and That's for my dad from my dad, I wanna do Joe versus the Volcano, but it's me, so I'm gonna pull that back. <laughs> Ooh. Kind of want to go catch me if you can, but that's not his best. I'm gonna go Forrest Gump. It made top five. Catch me if you can. It's five, number five. Yeah, no math adds up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. We already talked where people can watch this thing. So, all right, we're wrapping up our second episode. We did it completely different this time. Yeah, definitely different. But we're different all the time. Yeah, we're gonna listen to him and kind of just see where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Any parting words of wisdom? Well, you know, this is a new podcast that we're going with. So, you know, everything's not going to be the same structure as before because we're just testing things out, trying to figure out what's good, what's not. And so, you know, just bear with us. If you have any kind words you want to shed our way that we can work on, we're also, you know, sponges as well. want to know what things we can work on to get better, what you guys will want to hear more of. Well, this is where you could find us. We have everything set up for the most part. It's not fully active but by the time these start going we'll have our instagram will have activity we have a website daysoffilmspast.com our instagram is daysoffilmspast at daysoffilmspast <laughs> same with our twitter did we snag up a facebook page yet not yet man we're almost the, the social media we need platforms to get on that right now most yeah. of the main social media platforms you can find us at days of films past but yeah the definitely that website's coming up Website is live. It just doesn't have anything on it. (laughs) (laughs) We dropping hot. But yeah, let's get on that Facebook shit tomorrow. All right. All right. So we came up with the name. I was actually pretty surprised that none of it was taken anywhere. I'm like, it just feels like something somebody would have sat on just because, (laughs) not because it's genius. Because, I mean, the name might be corny, but it sounds kind of cool rolling off the tongue. Right. So that's what I thought. Maybe somebody took it. But no, we own all of it, basically. Let's get it.